Welcome to another edition of Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman London. I'm Rob Sinclair and our topic for discussion today is stealth mode. We'll be taking a look at startups and the pros and cons of keeping under the radar versus taking your company above the parapet. I'm joined in the studio this morning with Simon Chan and Becky Ball from our merge team here in London. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Can you just explain uh, what stealth mode actually is? Yeah, sure. Um, so stealth mode is basically when, um, whether it's for reasons of competitive advantage or um, sort of preparedness, businesses are operating in a temporary state of secrecy. So they're not talking to customers about it. Um, they're not talking to sort of anyone about it without NDAs. Um, and they are absolutely, definitely not talking to press about it. Um, so obviously it, it seems kind of counterintuitive that we would be talking to businesses at that stage but it's a really critical point in the milestone because you need to know when and is the right time for you so I think stealth mode I think often we we often associate stealth mode as being under the radar until you're ready to launch and you create a big bang and often um, companies will spend one or two years just operating creating developing and sharpening their product Mm. Um, but equally I think there's needs to be recognition that there's actually a spectrum um, and perhaps we can talk with this uh, talk about this um, in a minute but obviously you have the extreme where you don't say anything at all you don't engage mm-hmm. at all all the way to um, big bang big hype mm-hmm. and there's pros and cons um, between but there's also annoyances between I think uh, in terms of a couple of the ones that we've worked with, um, we work with Braintree, which is uh, one of the companies that PayPal acquired back in 2013. Um, And Braintree actually acquired a startup from stealth mode. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really interesting working with them through that period because obviously they acquired a whole host of talents, some amazing individuals um, who obviously had to go through the process of sort of trying to explain what their business was and why they'd been acquired by Braintree in the first place. So um, for them, there were huge advantages because it was mainly just about um, uh, the talent and the individuals there. So it wasn't so much they weren't looking to acquire users, they weren't looking to um, acquire more investment or anything like that. So Stealth Mode fitted their objectives perfectly. They just wanted to knuckle down, get on with the task in hand, um, and ultimately were lucky enough to be acquired by one of the biggest fintech companies um, in the world by the end of it. But um, yeah, so as Simon says, it's it's all about that spectrum and all about um, companies finding, I think, the fit that's right for them, yeah. um, depending on what their objectives are. What is Emerge? I think Emerge can be described as a practice and offering that Edelman uh, offers globally, and not just in London, which works with high growth technology companies. And that is from startups to scale-ups, um, all the way from your seed rounds to your series A's, all the way up to, we've got one, that series E pre-IPO. Um, and it's really the recognition that um, at each stage of a startup, there are, in a scale-up, there are different needs and challenges and opportunities and how we map onto delivering against that and helping them grow. It's mainly populated by people who get nerdily excited by really early stage technologies. So um, uh, in the UK, um, it's obviously Simon and myself and a bunch of other people um, that work across a huge range of clients. The type of clients that you're working with, are they looking to, is it primarily selling products or is it uh, looking to raise funds? How, when they're coming out of that stealth mode, what is the primary 
sort of target they want to achieve? I think the objectives are really different for, I think, and that's one of the beautiful things about working on these emerged businesses is there's so much variety of the kind of communications work that you're doing for these organisations. Um, and they sit everywhere on that spectrum. So for some of them, um, they have a business model that is defined by a need to acquire users. Users may supply them with more information or make their product more robust or whatever it might be. So for those kind of businesses, stealth mode just doesn't make sense because they're not going to acquire the critical mass of users that they need to become a viable business or to show or demonstrate to investors that it's something that they can that is a viable option um, but on sort of the completely other end of the spectrum there are some people that are working in a really competitive environment mm. there is um, a very sort of finely tuned edge between their competitor and them and for them to reveal what could be their enduring competitive advantage too early in the stage could be really really damaging for both their not only their, their investment pro prospects but also ultimately who their customers might be and whether they're even able to get off the ground in the first place hmm. and for me I think with stealth mode is there are a number of um, advantages um, and disadvantages as well obviously the obvious disadvantage um, with being in stealth mode is actually you lose a lot of the learning and market testing opportunities um, <coughs> If you're trying to acquire talent, for instance, or if you're trying to acquire um, more funding to put you to the next stage of your growth, uh, your growth stage, although that's not to say that you that communications is not a part of that. Actually, you need to do more, in a sense, internally when you are in a stealth mode um, to gain trust from investors who will be looking, no doubt, at um, trying to understand your business and trying to understand. Um, your direction with the absence of um, media coverage and that sort of validation and also how do you recruit um, you know, new new developers new engineers and being able to cascade that internally um, is even more important um, and uh, communication is even more important than it is um, external so actually that does not remove the need for communication um, and then back to what uh, Becky was saying around um, the competitive advantage um, there are different industries where you know you need to look at, and I'm a big believer in the prisoner's dilemma um, and you know the game theory of um, you know if you're a prisoner, do you and you know do you escape or do you or if your inmate's going to escape, do you tell the authorities and what's the kind of um, the win lose situation and what's the best competitive advantage? All startups will be going through that kind of what's the risk and advantage um, payoff in their competitive market space. And what's the objective? Is it to, um, do you need, for example, as part of your business objective, developers to develop on the platform to hit that tipping point before you're able to come out? Then this is, goes back to the point around the spectrum of stealth and you know the big bang, if you like. There's everything in between, and it really is what works for your business, your competitive um, landscape and what you need to achieve in terms of um, funding and how you can achieve that. There was a really interesting article actually on um, the FT the other day about um, kind of addressing this question around um, bad publicity and sort of, um, and not bad publicity in the sense of sort of people saying negative things about you, but in the sense of too much too soon. So mm. sometimes, for example, um, maybe if it's a client that we're working with that has an intensive manufacturing process and is actually producing hardware or something like that or they have a platform that isn't quite ready for them the question of sort of 
the prisoner's dilemma, as it were, will be about um, can they actually deal with an influx of attention when it happens, mm. um, which is a, a really kind of hard truth that a lot of startups have to face. They have to ask themselves some hard questions, cut through the hyperbole and definitely um, sort of uh, analyse themselves closely about whether it is that they, if things were to absolutely explode from that first instance of publicity, could they cope? Would they be creating a really bad impression for those first few customers? So are there any sort of the right conditions to come out of stealth mode? Is it sort of when you've raised capital and then you've got a solid team uh, in place or you know should you be coming out stealth mode as you're just entering uh, fundraising and looking to make publicity to encourage investors to to put their faith in you what's the sort of right conditions well I, I think those are some good examples but I do think that it does come back to that that question of being on a spectrum and um, that really sort of reflective process that startups have to go through to to determine whether they're ready so you do have to have that excellent team in place which can be hard to form when you're in stealth mode but given the time and opportunity because ultimately if you're not public you do have that time and opportunity um, to form that team and to get it right to get your uh, product right whatever that might be whether it's Mm. um, uh, a software platform whether it's hardware whatever might be the situation I think the problem is that um, first impressions, particularly from earned media, are not forgiving. So um, say, for example, you're launching hardware, you don't want to go out too soon and then find that you're getting lots of negative reviews. It's mm. um, We were talking about this the other day, actually, and um, Justin said something that it's it's very hard to untell a story. Very easy to tell one, but very, very hard to untell one. Um, and it's so true. You see a lot of um, businesses that start out at early stages and they get sort of these taglines that hang around their neck like a millstone for years and years to come and they just can't get rid of them Um, and some of our work even is about that process like how do we help these companies rebrand and escape what might have helped them in the early stages but isn't doing them any favours now when they try either positioning themselves in a new market or secure more funding or whatever it might be so um, long story short (laughs) I guess it's kind of um, it it is about that introspection it is about um, understanding your own model and understanding the relative advantages and disadvantages Mm. playing the um, it's it's a difficult one because you know back to the point of everything in between of this um, kind of stealth versus big bang Spectrum. Um, I mean, I think of, for example, um, plastic cards, so P-L-A-S-T-C. Um, they were a um, Silicon uh, or Californian-based company, and um, they tried to raise mon- tried to raise money um, through crowdfunding. Mm. And in order to do that, and what they what they were offering was really quite smart. It was a, a, essentially a, a credit card-sized card. Which can store multiple cards and do chip and pin, NFC, everything. So you can enter your enter to, enter your apartment, enter your work, you can register your credit card, Oyster card, and all that good stuff. So, um, but to to attract the funding that they required to put into place the manufacturing and their vision together, they needed to create a very high end um, video to show um, the promise of the card and the concept of the card. Um, and it was really well made and actually attracted um, millions and millions of dollars into this and got a lot of press attention. Um, however, when it came down to the reality of building the actual uh, card itself, what they found was a number of different hurdles and different challenges. And sadly, um, 
I think it was about three or four months ago, they had to declare themselves um, bankrupt. And by by then, then um, there was a lot of kind of media backlash and a lot of angry um, early stage investors. Um, but one of the biggest criticisms in that process, in a kind of two to three year process in which they were developing that, um, was the lack of communication that they were giving to their investors. Mm. And not just not being transparent and earning that trust about some of the challenges they faced until very last minute. Um, so from a communications perspective, you know, there is that if you're, if you're crowdfunding, then obviously you need to attract and show the vision. But equally, um, when you're actually in the process, having an open dialogue that's transparent and earning that trust is very, very important to make sure that people are informed as you go through this journey. Yeah, that's so true. I think, um, I think obviously once you've done that, that reflecting and you've decided that going um, going out and earning attention is the right thing for you to do as a business. I think there's, in addition to the need for transparency, there's obviously like that that kind of bell curve of, and we see this so much in technology, particularly because it's like an early adopter industry. So mm. there are people that are willing to put up with the beta mode. There are people that are willing to put up with the wait pages. There are lots of interesting businesses that have actually made a hu- made a huge buzz about not being available. If you look at uh, Monzo, um, obviously the wait list for, for that as a product has actually been kind of a big part of them helping to create buzz and create attention around their product. So I think once you have decided that the public is the right way to go, that earning attention in the early stage of your business is right because you need the users or whatever it is that you need, um, it's, it's about that transparent communication, saying mm-hmm. when it will be available, when it won't be, at what stage it will be, but also understanding the audience that you're going after. So there is a, a very clear distinction between what early adopters will tolerate and what the rest of the world will tolerate. Um, so early adopters will be fine with that beta. They will be the people that will fund you on Kickstarter or Cedars or whatever it might be and will want to feed into the product and all of that sort of stuff. They're a very different human being to the to the um, the late majority or the laggards who are expecting a really finely tuned product. So I think part of understanding your model is also understanding your audience and how accepting or not accepting they might be to those various flaws that you have in that um, product at an early stage. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any trends in particular uh, from sector to sector, how sort of one company in one sector sort of uh, operates in stealth mode and comes uh, puts their head above the parapet versus another sector? Are there any differences or are these sort of rules applicable to all startups? Um, I think obviously the the market that you're entering into is a big consideration so say for example you're entering a very frothy or noisy sector that's always going to implicate how you how you talk about who you are or say for example um, you're entering a space where there are lots of other competitors and it would be quite easy for them to turn around and replicate what you're doing where you public about it mm. and under those circumstances um, there's probably no advantage at, at an early stage to, to go out before you're ready and to talk about your model before you're ready because someone can replicate it very easily and take your share of business very easily and there are probably more established players in that field doing it better than you. Than you. Um, so I think in those cases then yeah, there's uh, obviously a consideration about stealth or not stealth. I think the most marked comparison that I've seen has probably been in um, uh, uh, B2C or B2B. Um, So in the case of B2C, um, I think there is 
there is a harsh environment out there for getting it wrong um, and uh, it's it's really difficult so uh, there's been a numerous sort of um, Kickstarter fails as it were that started out as being these cool hardware um, uh, technologies that you could buy and then um, obviously for one reason or another it's not quite delivered on the expectation and consumers are brutal when they don't get what they want so um, I think that and it's infinitely more public because uh, consumers will complain about it they'll take to social media they'll take to their uh, sort of um, they'll take to as in publications or write articles because they know people will read them um but um i wouldn't say it's less brutal in the b2b but it's probably just less attention generating yeah i would agree with that and um i think often and largely you know because of uh, silicon valley and the media and all the kind of success that we've had and uh, in the past you know five ten years certainly um there's been a kind of underlying sense and culture of chasing um, ever-increasing valuations, ever-increasing funding, um, being as big as possible. And I think, you know, there's, there's, always, there's almost this tipping point right now which we're seeing where people are beginning to realise that actually you need a solid business to really scale and meet the promise that you're trying to make. And I think being really clear that, um, you know, there are brands out there, um, mainly in B2C, uh, as Becky said, where, um, you know, if you have too much hype and you don't get that promise, there is a backlash and media does tend to latch on that onto that very quickly. In B2B, less so. And also that's probably a nature of B2B as well because in B2B, people, uh, companies tend to collaborate with, um, you know, the top 5% of, um, of customers who really understand their proposition and are likely to work in beta um, to work out what's the use case and develop a product that works. So equally from a dynamics perspective, um, there are underlying business issues that can drive which strategy you end up taking and which uh, and what are the kind of risks and uh, upsides there are in either, either way. Let's take a break now and listen to a clip from a previous episode where Justin Westcott shares his insights from his trip to Hong Kong. To sort of continue to deliver on its growth projections, you know, China has to create a million new jobs every month. Um, wow. I mean, that just is a, you know, a, a mind-blowing figure when you're kind of sat in London. Um, but the reality of the growth and the, the rapid rise of the middle class in China um, is phenomenal. And at the moment, it's showing very little signs. Yeah, you know, will be on the data we receive um, of that in any way slowing down. But for sure, I mean, I think the the opportunity for uh, Western companies going to China remains, um, as we know, uh, as an audience, the Chinese are very very willing to embrace uh, Western brands that has a you know a very strong perceived value of quality and are prepared to pay more for it. Um, but for me, I think the excitement really was more about China out. Uh, I think, um, as I said to the team when I came back. I'd be surprised if in 10 years' time some of our biggest clients are not Chinese uh, technology companies, as opposed to today, uh, where we're largely supporting American-headquartered technology companies uh, to do communications in Europe. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm joined with Becky Ball and Simon Chan from the Emerge team. We're talking about the pros and cons of stealth mode. Um, Guys, we've talked around uh, the, the sort of over-promising and under-delivering, the, the importance of uh, being clear and uh, honest with your sort of shareholders and stakeholders. When it comes to funding, 
Um, what are the limitations of stealth mode, and are there sort of positives to, to being it while you're trying to raise funds? I think being in stealth mode, I think one of the trends we're actually seeing is um, you know, traditionally everyone thinks of the startup land work, you know, approaching C uh, VCs and angels and what have you. But one of the things that we are seeing is that there's more and more um, startups going to high net worths. Um, sometimes this is through um, personal connections, sometimes this is through um, industry contacts, and at times even brokers. Um, and I think, you know, this is the realization that um, you know actually there are other routes to market, and, and that you don't necessarily need to create um, a big hype to try and attract investment. Now, this is not to say that um, you know, feces um, are redundant by any way, and they obviously play a very very important role in helping companies grow. Um, however, is the way in which um, we're seeing the market switch because there are more people coming away from that. Um, hype culture I was talking about um, and also I think you know um, being in stealth um, going back to that point which I uh, which I made earlier is um, when you do have investors on board it's actually um, you actually have to try harder to make sure that you earn their trust and communicate your vision your roadmap and um, what you're trying to achieve in the right way um, so that you maintain maintain trust and maintain um, their interest because no doubt you'll want to um, get more investment as you grow from your existing pool of investors and also for them to um, potentially introduce you to more strategic investors um, as you as you pivot. So I think investment can work both sides and there are different routes to market beyond um, beyond the traditional let's attract some VCs um, but it's the approach um, once you've got them on board which I think is the most important. Are there any sort of fast and hard rules um, when you're speaking to, to startups that they should uh, stick to uh, whether they should be in stealth mode or come out of stealth mode what would you be a, sort of your advice for them and the rules they should stick to I think it's just mainly about I know we've talked about a spectrum very often and that's sort of a, <laughs> um, a broadly unhelpful way of answering this question but um, it, it, it's so true it's, um, it's really really critical that um, the businesses understand what earned can and can't do for their business. Um, communications is obviously, and clear communications and transparency is obviously imperative when you are talking to your VCs, you're talking to your customers, whoever it might be. But um, you really, really do need to understand that it's it's just about clarity. It's not it's not going to make your product suddenly ready. It's not going to. Um, it's not a miracle worker in some sense. So you as a business have to be ready. You as a business have to have uh, an interesting story to tell uh, at that point in time. Um, and you have to understand how earned is going to um, support the business objectives that you set, you set yourself at that stage. Is it user acquisition that you're going after? In which case earned attention is definitely gonna be helpful to you in doing that. But the considerations for that point are is my product ready? Um, are people going to get a solid first impression on it? Am I ready as a business to deal with the, whatever volume that might come through? So mm -hmm. that might mean them as a business going back and looking at, well, okay, maybe we have to insource all of our technology because at the moment we can't afford the 
the cloud costs for should our uh, bulk of visitors increase by a massive degree or from a manufacturing perspective it could be right we need to make sure that we've got far more scalable relationships than we do have at present um, so there, there are so many business decisions that need to be made um, after you've understood what earned can do for your business and that's the only, that's the only point at which you can make a really informed decision about whether you should stealth mode or whether you shouldn't and from my perspective, um, also it's a consideration of whether the market's ready. Um, for example, um, there are some industries, um, and we were seeing, for example, the emergence of AI. Um, only only a couple of weeks ago, we heard Facebook had to shut their AI because they were talking to each other. Um, but uh, you know, there are there are industries where regulation and policy just has not caught up yet. Um, or there are equally highly regulated industries like financial services um, where there needs to be a dialogue, there needs to be um, a market that is ready for your product before um, you, know, you end up with uh, the um, backlash from the regulators. So for example in the UK we have the FCA and they have a very helpful um, sandbox so if you're in a blockchain uh, for financial services sector for instance you can go on the sandbox and quite um, quite readily work within the sandbox and make sure that you're within the rules and that you're working, um, you know, to uh, in a way that the industry accepts. But uh, equally, you need to get, for example, if you're in the bonds and issuance uh, and you're handling money, you might need something like cash, for instance. So being stealth mode in that instance to make sure that you're ready um, can be very very beneficial. Um, and just go back to what Becky was saying, completely agree on the point around you need a really clear purpose and position and really understand what you're not and more importantly, um, sorry, what you are and more importantly what you're not um, as a brand because that will really set the, um, the tone in which internally how you operate and making sure you have that absolute focus. But externally when you do come out over the, above the parapet um, showing your competitive differentiation but also making sure that people understand who you are and um, you know, not have that um, association with someone else. I mean, some great advice there and insights um, and you know, some examples of the, the work that you guys have been doing with um, some of the Emerge clients. Um, anything else that you want to...? Yeah, I, I think probably just that stealth mode doesn't preclude you from doing a lot of different things. So if you are in stealth mode, it doesn't mean necessarily that you won't be able to track to investment or you won't be able to be acquired or you won't be able to get the talent you need. Um, there are, as Simon's pointed out, um, a lot of people that will invest in businesses in this kind. There are even recruitment agencies devoted to businesses in stealth mode at this point in time. So um, it does just come back to the understanding of your business, your purpose, the market. Um, and those they sound like really obvious things, but um, I think when a lot of startups are sort of... Um, foot to the floor just trying to do everything trying to wear so many hats and trying to um, just get a business off the ground it can be really all-consuming it can be very difficult to raise your head out of the day-to-day -day and the next job the next job the next job to think about the bigger picture of mm. can we cope with this are we ready if everything should hit the fan um, what would happen if we went to market and the market wasn't ready there is only so much you can control earned attention with good messaging, with good positioning, with good crisis communications. Um, so much of it is dependent on 
as a business being prepared for those moments and mitigating any of those risks at the start of the business and with the purpose rather than um, sort of knee jerk after the fact with trying to paper over the cracks with some uh, crisis communications. Becky and Simon, thanks for your time this morning and thank you for listening. Stay tuned for another edition of Sidelights.